How many of you are sick of football already? No, no, the vast majority are not, but I did see a few hands go up, either people that you're around loved ones that are just glued to the football on Sundays now, or your team has already lost, so sad for you. Um, uh, you know, Hillary's family is from Seattle, so uh, Hillary's dad, grandpa, um, sent Jack uh, his very own personal beast mode jersey, so he is rocking. You'll see him in his Seahawks jersey today. Good luck to all of you with your teams. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, We are continuing this series called A Beautiful Mess, and we're talking about it because our relationships are just that. They are a beautiful mess. You don't have to go very far, think very hard uh, to realize your relationships, whether they're family or work dynamics or neighbors or friendships. Uh, They can just be so messy. And we live in a culture that is so quick to litigate, right? I mean, you, you, we've got people that are suing. I, I know people that are suing their good friends for hundreds of thousands of dollars right now. I know people whose family members are suing one another right now. We are just quick to, 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 to want to try to exploit situations, and we destroy relationships, and it's happening all the time, all the time around us. And it's messy. We're just less than a month out of Christmas, and you saw the messiness of the drama of your family dynamic. You know how that goes and the pain that can be around that. And you think about uh, bullying, for instance, right? Bullying is this unbelievable phenomenon that has existed for all this time, and yet now we're seeing it at new levels. And cyberbullying. And we have the highest teenage suicide rate that we've had in history, uh, and in large part because of this kind of bullying. Someone showed me um, this past week this website that's dedicated to hate. Uh, The people literally will assign a hate page for someone that they don't like. And then they will invite, they'll post on social media and they'll invite other people to jump on it and they'll just bash their friends and it'll be like, oh, I hate that person too because they're like this. And this is the kind of culture that we live in. There's just craziness. And we have, I mean, it's just so blatantly clear that our relationships are messy and that we are prone, at least the people around us, we are prone toward these kind of just like this ugliness in relationships. And, uh, and we, we talked last week in the beginning of this series about how, you know, God's original design and how he wants our relationships to work. We're going to continue that today. But what we said last week was that God designed us on purpose, very, very specifically, that we are not animals and that we are not slaves to our urges and desires that are so self-centered and selfish in relationship and end up using other people. But at the same time, we're also not angels and we're not perfect And yet we're in this kind of messy middle of human. And that God designed us as humans to connect with him, to live with him, to walk with him. And that that connection would fuel our relationship with each other. And yet clearly you look around us in the world and something is broken. That that, that connection is broken. We are disconnected from our God and then thus from each other. And so chaos ensues. And that was not God's design. I read a book called Outliers by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, and he, in it, he talks about this town in Italy called Rosetto, and in Rosetto, there was this yeah, Italian village, and they got word in the 1800s that this new America was forming, and so about 10 of them came over on a ship and settled in Pennsylvania, and then about 15 more came. And then about 50 came on another trip, and then 100, and then several thousand. And they started a town in Pennsylvania called Rosetto to remind them of home. And it was made up almost entirely of these Italians from Rosetto, Italy. 
and they, the business started booming. They had factories. They had warehouses. They, they were doing what they were doing. And in the early you know, 1900s, uh, their town really grew and exploded. In about 1940, a guy comes and he visits, and he's, doing, he, he's, he's coming from a university, and he's doing research on health. In, our, in, in communities, in society. And so he was kind of bouncing around different places doing his research, and he got wind of, he heard of this town called Rosetto. And in this town, no one seemed to be sick. No one was dying prematurely of heart conditions or heart disease. And so he wanted to come and investigate it himself, and he was studying that. He found that in Rosetto, this town, almost 0% of the population had heart problems before the age 65. Whereas in other communities, heart disease in that era, 1940s and 50s, was, was killing lots and lots of people. And so he, he began to try to figure out what is it about Rosetto that is different. And so he studied what they ate. And they're like, no, these people eat the you know, same kind of stuff, fatty foods and lard and whatever else that anyone else eats. It's, it's not what they eat. He tested their water. The water tested the same as the other places that he would been. It's not in the water. Maybe they don't work as much, so he followed them to work, and he found out, no, they work long hours in factories and, and along assembly lines and just like everybody else. And then he began to notice something different in how they carried themselves, that they would oftentimes walk to work together or walk home from work together. At the end of the day, they would gather in common areas in town, and they would be together. They would do meals together as neighbors and friends. And this scientist, this researcher found that their health was directly connected to their communal way of living, to their relationships, that their hearts were healthier and they lived longer, healthy lives because of their relationships. You see, our health is connected to our relationships. Healthy relationships lead to healthier living. It's just a human reality. And that's one of the reasons why God talks so much in the Bible about relationships. They matter. He wired us for relationships. And we're going to look at the at a small little part of the letter to the Romans. Paul writes this letter to the Romans. That's people trying to follow Jesus in Rome and in the area. The letter got passed around to different places around there, but that's who he is writing to. And he spends the first 11 chapters of this letter. It's, it's a long letter. It's, it's considered kind of Paul's uh, Magna Carta, his manifesto. It's, it's, it's his summary of all things kind of theological and what really matters as you're trying to follow God. And in the first 11 chapters, all he talks about is how to have this connection with God restored. All he talks about for 11 chapters is how God intended life to be this way, and then humans rebelled and made it messy like this, and then God intervened through Jesus and wants to restore this relationship, and you can have it. And 11 chapters are talking about our condition and how we can reconnect with God. And then in the 12th chapter, he turns the corner and he says, now once that's reconnected, this is how you should live. And this is how you should love other people. In the NIV, the Bible scholars that put, the, the, that, put that Bible translation together titled that chapter, Love in Action. 
which is something that we have to say and remind ourselves that love is a verb and it requires action. But in the first century, the Mediterranean people that Paul was writing to, there was no distinction between an inner state of belief and external actions. There was no separation. For instance, if you said, oh man, I just love my church, Paul would say, how? You'd be like, oh, that, I mean, that's cool. I just love my church. I'm, I, I, like, I, I'm into it. I love it. And you go, no, no, no. How do you love your church? Because there's no disconnect between an inner state and an inner commitment and external realities. So he would wait and he would make you tell him how you love your church, your family, your whatever. And you might say, oh, well, I, um, shoot, what do I do? Well I, well, I get there early once a month and I help set up. You'd be like, awesome. Uh, I, I, I work with the kids once a month or twice a month. Awesome. I, I pray for the people in the church and for the leadership. And I do, awesome. That's, I give a little bit. He would, say, he would say, your love is known. It's proven by your actions. There can be no disconnection in that first century mind. Love is proven by action. A guy that I know, his name is Bob Goff. He wrote a book called Love Does. In it, he says this. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or planning for it. Simply put, love does. Love does. If you want better relationships, if you want things to go better at work, if you want people to call you back, if you want someone to actually show up with their pickup truck on moving day, It starts with you. Love requires action on your part. And the quality of your relationships is directly linked to how well you are loving with action. Uh, People have come and talked to me a number of times about wishing that they had better friends or more friends or needing friends. And I ask them a question. I say, "What, what is a good friend? And they, t- they list off a few things, and then very sneakily, I just set them up, and I say, are you that kind of a friend to anybody else? You will not have good friends until you are a good friend. Love requires action, and I guarantee that if you apply these actions that you're going to see from Romans chapter 12, you will see your relationships improve. You will see God work out things in your relationships because of your response to him and because of your commitment to love other people. Will sometimes people still take advantage of you? Yes. Will sometimes people still hurt you? Yes. But will your life and your relationships be more fulfilling, be more in line for what God wants for you, leave you more healthy and fulfilled? Absolutely. And so we're going to be talking about these few specific actions, and we start with the first one that we're going to see in these first few verses, and that's simply this. Choose the greater good. Choose the greater good. Verse 9 says this, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. 
Honor one another above yourself. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. There are people that are smarter than me that have defined a sincere kind of love as to choose the greater good for the other person. Now, in a situation with a particular person, think about all the kind of scenarios that are playing out in your life. There may be a a course of action that's a little bit better for you. The question is, are you willing to choose the greater good for the other person? Are you willing to choose a sincere kind of love? Now, this was really relevant uh, to the people that Paul was writing to because in that day, some people would, would use other people and they would manipulate them and they would try to communicate that they really cared, but it was really just to get something from them. In, in that day, that happened. And so Paul says to them, choose a sincere kind of love. Choose to actually care and put the other person above yourself. Really easy, practical implication. Don't be a user. Don't be someone who uses other people. Choose the good for them. Don't sell something to someone that you know they shouldn't buy. Don't take someone with you somewhere where you know they shouldn't go. Don't drink alcohol in front of someone that you know has an addiction, has an abuse problem. And don't guilt trip somebody into doing something or not doing something just because you're needy. Choose the greater good for the other person or for the other people. Don't be a user. On your outline, there's three words that start with C that I put in an order for a reason, what I would invite you to do if you have any kind of like a writing implement, this is an artistic moment for you, self-expression right here. Draw either like a triangle or an iceberg, you know, whatever you want it to be, uh, from using those three words, a point at the top and then a base down to the bottom. What I want you to see is at the top, you are more shallow. At the bottom, you are more rooted and strong. And at the top of those words, you'll see the word courtesy, this is a courtesy kind of caring simply means that I just bumped into you and so I, we exchanged some nice pleasantries, right? I, that courtesy is superficial. It's just being nice. You have the capacity to just be nice to some people, right? That really, courtesy love is just, is just being pleasant and being nice. The next level down is convenient love. This, this, you actually care for people when you're, when you're conveniently caring for them. You're actually caring but it only goes to a certain extent. It's only because like you're in the environment or you know you're going home for Thanksgiving and so you put in a call to grandma or, or because you, you, know, you have to sit in a cubicle next to somebody and so you're pleasant to them. A convenient kind of love is, is saying, I, I, I'm gonna show that I care and I'm gonna be nice and I'm, you know, we'll go to lunch together and I'll, I'll buy you a present at Christmas because I know that I have to because we do this life together, we're connected, we're, we're in this, but I, it only goes so far. There's some people that are really great with you when they're with you, but they don't follow through on the other end. That they can, be re- they can be your best friend, but they don't get to this next level of committed love and committed caring. And that's where you want to move your relationships. That's where relationships become fulfilling is at the bottom, committed love. Committed love is sacrificial. 
Committed love is love in action, even when it's inconvenient for you. Even when it hurts a little bit. Even when it's not your first choice or not what you wanted it to do, but it's the greater good for the other person or for the group. For instance, there are men and women in our church, probably in this room right now, that will choose committed love. They will love you in a committed kind of way today because they will stay after our last service and they will help us tear down and put everything in a trailer even though their favorite team is playing football at that time. <laughs> and a couple of these people I even happen to know don't have DVRs. They're just expressing a committed kind of love. So I want you to look at that triangle and I want you to put initials next to those words, of people that you love in those ways. Be brutally honest. No one else is going to look at this page. It's just for you. Who are the people in your life that are just in the courtesy? You probably just kind of lump those into groups, work, whatever. When I bump into them, I'm, I'm just nice. Who are the people that are in the convenient realm I care about these people, but only to a certain extent. If my job changes, if I move, if, if something happens, if they stab me in the back or whatever, I am done. I don't need them. That's a convenient kind of love. And then would you put initials next to the people that you've decided to be committed to? They're not perfect. They're going to let you down. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be things that are at, asked of you that, you don't want to do, you don't feel like doing, but you are going to be committed to these relationships. While you're thinking about that, I'll give you an example from my own life. There's a good friend of mine who I, I worked with right out of college. We worked in the same organization together, and we got along great. We had fun. We, had, we went to lunch at least once a week. We, 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 we were good friends. We had, a, we had a good time. But then when I left this organization to try to start my own organization, this friend of mine felt threatened by that. So he felt like it was an, a, a kind of an aggressive move that in some way I had hurt his feelings. And, and without saying it, I was suggesting that what he was doing at the original organization was not good enough and that I needed to go out and do my own thing and that this was better, this was more courageous, this would lead to better results, whatever. And so he got his feelings hurt. And so we stopped hanging out. We, we, we were in a life group together. He stopped showing up. I, I would text him or call him sometimes, and he wouldn't respond. And so he even, we even kind of had a conversation where he was like, you know what, you're kind of doing your own thing now. You know, sometimes your friends just come into your life for a season, and that's all, and that's fine. And so we can just kind of part and go our own ways. But that, that wasn't really satisfying to either of us. We lived like a half a mile away from each other, and we're still going to see each other, even maybe just at the grocery store. And so to let that little bit of awkwardness and bitterness kind of stay in, in that, was just, it was just not okay. It wasn't a healthy thing. It wasn't a right thing. You just know it's not right and best. And so we had another friend, and the three of us got together, and we just like talked it out. Like, it's like a personal hell, you know? I mean, it's just messy, brutal, awkward, there's crying, uh, man crying, which is not a good thing, <laughs> and, and, and we, just, we just talked it through, and, um, and we're still friends to this day, as awkward and painful, and you, and you never want to do that, but it's worth it when you're committed to somebody, 
You fight through the convenience of it and the inconvenience of it, and you say, God designed me for relationships. All my relationships don't have to be committed, but if I don't have some that are committed, that I will, I will do just anything for, then you are missing out on the life that God designed for you. You need to have committed relationships. If you find yourself bailing on people on a regular basis when things get difficult or just because you're tired or just because something else came up or just because there's too much at work or something like that, if that's a regular pattern for you, you don't yet understand committed relationships. And God has more for you. And it's for you. It's how you were meant to live. It's how you were designed. So I want to invite you to try and experiment this week. Take this week and look at each of your relationships that you interact with on a regular basis and ask yourself, do I just care out of courtesy? Just when it's convenient for me? Or am I committed to this person or to this group? Choosing their greater good. Start there, and then we'll take the next step in our relationships, and we'll pursue harmony. Verse 15 of Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Did you notice that there was one word in particular used four times in those two verses? What was it? With. With. Harmony is not just something that happens musically when two voices mesh together. Harmony is when you choose to be with. When you choose to rejoice and celebrate with someone who is celebrating. When you choose to mourn with someone who's mourning. When you choose to be with someone in their pain. When you choose to go with someone when they really need you in this circumstance. When you choose to not be the the person above or that has it figured out or that doesn't have the issue and you enter into it with someone to support them and care for them. Harmony is about being with, being in it together, being alongside, committed, and going in the same direction. It's choosing to be with people that you're committed to. Hillary's grandparents are visiting us this weekend and her grandfather's name is Jack. Uh, he goes by Jake, so I might say Jake, uh, but his actual, his real name is Jack. That's who, our baby Jack namesake. That's the deal. Uh, Grandpa Jake is in his late 80s, and he's a, a living legend. He grew up his whole life in Gig Harbor, Washington. His family, his parents didn't even speak English. They just spoke Croatian. They came over, over from Croatia and were fishermen. Jake was a fisherman, went out on the, you know, high seas and Alaskan waters and fished for salmon, dangerous stuff that sometimes, uh, often, people wouldn't come back from over the summer. And, and so he, he did that. And then he went into public service. He became the, uh, the city's first police officer. He went off to war, and he was a war hero. 
He, after being the first police officer, he said, is there somewhere else I can serve? And so he ran for mayor. He became mayor of Gig Harbor. After he was mayor and everybody loved him in town, they convinced him to run for county commissioner. And so he was up against a former NFL player who had a radio program who no one gave him a chance in winning this you know, county commissioner thing. And so Jake went door to door knocking on everyone's door, literally thousands of homes. And he asked them, what do you want to see in your town? What do you want to happen in your town? And he was the epitome of what you wish politicians were. He actually cared. He wasn't leveraging his political status for personal gain. He cared and people loved him. And he won that election two to one because people believed that he actually cared for them. Jake, if you go to Gig Harbor now, you will see a street called Busich Road. That's his last name. And if you go into any store or any place in town and you ask for Jake Busich, they will glow and they will tell you about this guy. Jake, every day, still to this day, goes and visits people who can't get out of their homes because he's been there forever and he knows everybody. He'll go and visit them in the nursing home, in the hospital or at their home. He'll go and do their gardening for them if they, need it, if they need him to. Jake is someone who dedicated his life to just being with a community in Gig Harbor, Washington. And if there's harmony there that you feel, he has a lot to do with it because he chose to be with and among. I have another friend named Jeff who was the uh, CEO of Horizon Airlines for a while, and he came up as a flight attendant. And he was a flight attendant for several years. And then he got moved into the corporate headquarters and the marketing department. And then he was director of marketing. And then he became the vice president of marketing for the airlines. And then he was asked to be the CEO of Horizon Airlines. But because he was so committed to being a regular person with his people, with his staff, he would lay in bed at night with his roster of the Horizon Airlines personnel picture and name, and he would try to memorize names and faces so that when he flew into the next airport and saw the team, he would call them out by name and say, hi, Lisa. He'd be like, we haven't even met. You're the CEO. Because he was so committed to being with and one of and a part of the team and valuing everybody else the way he would want to be valued. Some people make bold statements Right? They made bold, bold, sweeping statements, and then they're like, who's with me? Uh, someone, please. You know, be, you know, be. <laughs> because no one wants to be alone. Everyone wants to feel like they're in it with them. Why do ladies go to the bathroom together? I don't know. <laughs> but there's something about it. You know, I was just with you at the table, but there were more people there. Now we get a little quality moment, just you and me. We're going to the bathroom together. We want personal connection. We all do. It's in us. We want to be with. That's how God designed you. Harmony is about with, connected, in this thing together. Not above and condescending. Not beneath, like you're the martyr or victim. Not behind, like you're apathetic. And not beyond, like you're the fixer, making everything the way you want it. But with. With with each other. For an experiment this week, I would encourage you to consider, to notice how you walk, how you talk, 
how you interact, how you make plans. And ask yourself, am I someone who is with others or am I somewhere else? This is why, friends, we push rooted in life groups so much. It's not like to meet quotas. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a money maker for us. It's, it, it's, it's for you. It's because our lives have been changed by encountering God in this way and doing life with other people. We want you to have this experience because we believe it's how God designed us. So if you haven't done Rooted yet, you should sign up today. There's Rooted every night of the week practically. You can, you can make it work. If you've done Rooted but you're not connected with other people, the next weekend you need to jump in a life group and we do the life group launch in the other room over there next Sunday night. Jump in. It's not, a life group doesn't mean a life sentence. You, you can... <laughs> You can bounce in and out, you know what I mean? You can do a semester on and take a break, whatever. The, the whole point is to be in, to be committed for seasons at least. And you can take breath, you know, breaks and breaths based on your family and your rhythms and stuff like that. You just want to be in relationship with other people. You do, you really do. It's how God wired you. So after that, what brings us to our final few verses and my final point, which is to do what is shockingly good. To do what is shockingly good. Still in Romans 12, verse 17 says this, do not repay evil for evil. Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with, 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 with everyone. Live in harmony. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, get this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the hardest one. Even if you work in your relationships and you get down from, from you know, the pleasantries to the convenient kind of caring to, like, co committed relationships, this is a hard one because this is when people either unknowingly or deliberately do you wrong. This is when you come up against evil and you're forced to respond and react. What do you do? Can you still choose love? Can you overcome evil with good is the question because there is evil in this world. There's evil in good people and people will backstab you. People will talk about you behind your back. They will gossip. They will withhold information from you. They will cheat you or sneak in some way. They might fire you or treat you unfairly at work. How will you react how will you respond? Don't seek revenge. Overwhelm the situation with unexpected, shocking good. 
when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to people who were trying to follow Jesus in this area, Rome and the surrounding areas. He had intention to go and visit them. So he's paving the way thinking, this is how you should be living. I'm going to come and visit you. This is going to be great. I know you're going through hard things, uh, but this is how I want you to live. There were Christians being killed for their faith. They were in this culture where it was not cool and trendy to be a follower of Jesus. There were no bracelets and t-shirts and radio stations and things like that. It was just this, this overwhelming culture that Rome created. And then there was these people trying to follow this radical way of love. And he's saying, keep at it. Keep doing it. You're doing the right thing. You can overcome the evil with good. And there were several different kinds of ways that other people were responding to the oppression of Rome at that time. The Pharisees were the religious teachers, and they wanted people to just live the Torah better. They wanted people to just live the Bible better, to, to, to be more religious, to, to just kind of clean up their act. And if, if you just do this, this, and this, then, then we'll be all right, and, and we'll get God's attention, and he'll send a Savior, and the Savior will wipe out the Romans and will give us the victory. So you guys just need to get your act together, live like us religious people, and, and, and be better. That's what the Pharisees did. There was another group that responded to the, to the oppression of Rome in a different way. They're known as the Zealots, and they chose the path of open rebellion. These guys, uh, some of them were called bandits because they were literally like Robin Hood. They would steal from the oppressive Romans and give to the poor kind of subtly. Others of them, they would like even keep little daggers in their robes, and they would look for opportunities to get at the Roman oppressors. That was the Zealots. Then there were the tax collectors. The tax collectors kind of looked at the situation, evaluated it, saw the power of Rome, and they thought, well, uh, if you can't beat them, join them. So they jumped in, and they turned on their own people and started taxing on behalf of Rome, their own people. Then there were these guys called the Essenes. The Essenes chose isolation. They withdrew. They said, oh, this world is a mess. It's not even beautiful. It's just messy, and we're going to get out of here, and we're going to do our own thing. We're going to be by ourselves. We're going to control what we can, and we're going to live our way. And it's into that kind of a world and environment that Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, yeah, 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 I get it. I know how this is all playing out. I know what you guys are going through. Here's the thing. Try this. When someone hits you on your right cheek, turn the left one. And the people that are reading that or hearing that are thinking, because they had seen Roman soldiers on horses riding by would hit someone on their face. The question is, how do you respond to evil? Why don't you turn the cheek? And then Jesus goes, well, well. And, and if one of these kind of Roman soldiers or officials or someone forces you to carry their stuff because they're tired and they see you walking along the same path, if they force you to carry their stuff a mile, which was legal, they could force a Jewish person to carry their stuff, up to one mile. After that, it was just, you know, too much. But one mile, carry their stuff. If, and Jesus says, if someone forces you to do that, carry it two miles. Do the shockingly good thing. Whatever you do, don't try to combat evil with more evil. Overwhelm it with good, with love. So, so the God of the universe who designed this place, who designed you and watched you 
rebel against him and do your own thing and live your own way and forget about him, sends his own son not to punish you, not to condemn you, to save you and to literally die in our place so that you don't have to die and so that you can be reconnected to him. He says, tell you what, I'll do the shockingly good thing. The Bible says God is love and Jesus is love in action. And he says, now I invite you to live like I do. Because the world around you will know that you are my disciples, not by your church buildings, not by your messages, not by your music, not by your radio, not by what, by your love for one another. Not, not kind of like a, a self-help kind of thing where you can just check the boxes. Did I do this today? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put like a graph together about uh, you know, which of my relationships are inconvenience and how I can move them toward committed by this date. But because of your surrender to this Jesus, that's the only way. It's his love that is the source he says, first, you got to know me. This is why I came, to reestablish this connection. And then, love like I do. Jesus said, I chose the greater good for you. You choose the greater good for other people. Jesus said, I came as God to be with and among you. Now, you choose to be with others, not better than not different than, not picking and choosing, but with, pointing them to me. And I chose, Jesus would say, to come and do the shockingly good thing and show you what love in action is. Now you go and do the same. Don't respond to evil with evil. Overwhelm it with good, with love. Consider an experiment this week and notice your reactions. When something evil or something negative happens to you, how do you tend to naturally respond? And what would happen if you did the shockingly opposite thing? What would happen if you overwhelmed evil with good? We're going to conclude this service a little bit differently today. The band is not going to come back up here. What we are going to do is we are going to put this teaching into practice and we are going to demonstrate in just a very, very simple, small way, love in action. And what we're going to invite you to do is on your way out, find one person, just one person that you don't know and just introduce yourself. I'll help you. You can just say, hi, my name is Caleb, like that, you know, and then they say what they say. And then you can just say, uh, how long have you, you know, when did you find out about Mariners? How long have you been connected to Mariners? And if, it's, if you're feeling good, if it's happening, then you can say, are you planning on watching football today? You know, and you can just go from there. Just let it roll. Just let it roll and just see what happens. I know that my, in, my introvert friends in here, like me, are already looking for the emergency exits. And you're like, Caleb, this is not cool. Like, I like my one song and then my donut to the car. You know, that's how I roll. But I would just ask you today, it's for you. 
It's for you. It's better this way. We need each other. And to not, to just, just refuse to be someone who disconnects the internal from the external. Be someone who chooses to love in action. This is the simplest way. And then those of you who still need to sign up for Rooted or whatever, you, you do that on your way out. But that's my invitation. That's what I invite you to do as we leave today. Would you stand with me and I'll pray for us? God, I pray your blessing over your people. That you would smile upon us. That we would know your face. That we would know your love. And that our response would be to love others recklessly, courageously, boldly, when it makes no sense, when it's the shocking thing to do, but that we would be committed in relationship and committed to overcoming evil in this world with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Meet some people. There's people out here to my left that would love to pray for you, but they don't count. (laughs) Talk to somebody else.